Welcome to Inclusion Matters, produced by the Center for Inclusive Child Care, aka the CICC. We're located at inclusivechildcare.org. Welcome to Inclusion Matters, a podcast of the Center for Inclusive Child Care. I'm Cindy Croft, Director of the Center, and I'm here again with Priscilla Weigel, one of our inclusion consultants. Welcome, Priscilla. Thanks, Cindy. Glad to be here. We're so excited today to talk about a topic that comes up in our consultation often. Mm-hmm. But before we do, we just want to say thank you to all the people who attended the 8th Annual Inclusion Institute Together We Can on uh, Saturday, June 23rd. It was great. Oh, thank you everyone for coming. We hope you had a good time. We had a good time. So many great sessions. So mm-hmm. we'll put a plug in for next June. We always have it about the same time if uh, people want to get ahead and mark their calendars already. So. <laughs> But we were, uh, we've been discussing uh, with each other, uh, for those of you who are listening, about uh, sometimes those of you who work with children in early childhood programs, the conflict you sometimes have when you have expectations from parents and about children's academic skills mm-hmm. and then your own knowledge and in, even intuition about what you know is best for children in the early years. Mm-hmm. So we thought we'd talk about that a little bit and also share an experience that uh, Priscilla has had in, in one of her consultations and, and hope that that resonates with those who are listening. Well, and I think, too, it's, it's something that comes up over and over again, and it, it really comes back to our level of professionalism and our confidence in our own knowledge. We have to be able to articulate to parents why we do what we do. Exactly. Whether it means what's so important about blocks or those types of things, or just the whole philosophy of a program or of your family child care home. I, I, more uh, in the last week, I've heard different parents saying, well, it looks like they're playing, it's a lot of playtime. And my response is always, well, that's what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of playtime because you only get to be a child one time in your life and this is where we learn through play. And if there's not an opportunity to play and if we're giving kids just that strict academic rote learning, that's not, that's going to, how do, I think you put it, that's going to do nothing for them mm-hmm. except they can maybe answer a question on a test. Right. But the learning that needs to take place as far as the process of learning and that education part that is so critical through curiosity, exploration, experimentation, those are the pieces, those things are going to stay with that child and they're going to be able to generalize those to different areas of their life, not just to answer to that test question. Right. And uh, we all know and see programs, child care programs, family child care and centers, that are all very different. I mean, sometimes uh, you can go into one that seems to have everything a parent might think is, wow, this, this place is everything I would want to be if I were a child. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, upon closer inspection, um, you might think, well, why do we have so, why, why are so many of the things hanging not necessarily relevant to a three-year-old, mm-hmm. and yet there, there aren't things, you and I were just talking about this, there aren't, for instance, expression, pictures of fa- uh, people's expressions or things that might uh, encourage emotional literacy, but we've got a bunch of butterflies hanging on the wall. Or, and I'm not saying we don't need butterflies on the mm-hmm. wall, but um, sometimes we have a lot of busyness for the sake of cosmetics. Sure. And we need to be thinking, our, is our environment, what is our environment about? Are we trying to appeal 
to parents or is our environment really about the learning needs of a three-year-old mm-hmm. or a two-year-old? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's really hard. Sure. Because there's the, uh, the common argument, and I hear it all over and over again in, in the consultation that I do. Well, we have to meet, we have to have customers coming through the door. So how do we get those parents interested in us if we're not doing what they're expecting us to do? And that's when it, I feel we can, if we're doing quality, giving quality care in early education, that's going to show through in the interactions that our staff have with the kids that are at the program when the parents are touring. Mm-hmm. Or the level of confidence that I say to that parent, you know what, that is a really great question. We don't do flashcards because we really feel that a child likes to experiment with their learning. So over here, we're doing kind of the same idea. There's numbers, there's objects for them to count, and they can they can do the, that and explore it. And also, if they want to build with those objects, they can do that. We, we see it as this open-ended activity that they can, a child can take it one step further. A flashcard is just hold it up, have them say it, put it down. The learning stops. Mm-hmm. Well, and you and I have talked many times about often when you see a school readiness checklist or kindergarten readiness checklist, which teachers probably have had a kindergarten, first and second grade teachers have had input into Mm -hmm. making that checklist for parents. Their first one to three to five um, important characteristics or, or readiness pieces for parents to be aware of are almost always about a child's emotional readiness and their social readiness. Mm -hmm. So a child may be able to recite the capitals of the United States, but if they're not able to, you know, be able to start a conversation with a peer or be able to, at uh, age five, be able to share, mm-hmm. be able to regulate themselves at a level we expect a five-year-old, which is different than what we expect from an eight-year-old and different from what we expect of a three-year-old, but there's a progression, but we expect because the three-year-old has started to gain regulatory skills that a five-year-old then will be even that much more regulated. Mm-hmm. Those are the kinds of things that we look for in true kindergarten and school readiness that comes from a program that puts regulatory uh, practices Mm -hmm. throughout all their interactions and their activities. Right. And I think, too, when you're talking about those, um, the criteria, the list that often school districts gladly share with us as early Educators, They'll, You can call a school district and say, I would like to have a copy of your readiness checklist for school entrance. That's something that is so helpful for you to have as a resource because just as Cindy said, when you look at that list, it doesn't say a lot of them, most of them, I have to say. Do not list all these academic skills. It really is about that foundational learning that's going to be built on as they go into school. And and having more of that kind of concrete information to share with parents also adds some clout to your words. I I hear from providers all the time, well, the parents, you know, they they don't listen to me because they don't think I'm an expert. Or it would be helpful if you could give me some more resources because I need to share those with families. 
and there are so many resources out there. Of course, our website, inclusivechildcare.org, has fabulous resources. The um, National Association of the Education for Young Children, their website has wonderful resources on just play-based curriculum and things that are important for children. SEED at the University of Minnesota has fabulous resources. Stanley Greenspan, he has a website that has great resources. So all these things are things that you can tangibly give to a parent you can say it with your words, but then you also give them those tools that they can take home and read over. And you also give them the websites, too. They can go right there and they can look and say, really, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics, what's best for children? What do they need at age three and four and five? And you can send them to these places and all it says is, my provider knows what she's talking about. Or he is, he's doing a fabulous job with my child. I'm so grateful to have him in the center. Oh, those are great tips, Priscilla, and we could probably go on and on about oh, this, yeah. but it's a very interesting topic, and I think what we want to just leave our listeners with today is just an encouragement that you know developmentally appropriate practice, you've been uh, trained in it and educated in it, and, and that's what you live, and so um, you just need to believe in yourselves and find a way to articulate to parents that developmentally appropriate practice translates into the important learning foundation for children so academic skills will come in the progression of children's development as is as is typical and as is developmentally appropriate right right and i think that believe in yourselves is really so important to to confidently remember these families chose you because they saw you as an expert and they really expect you to articulate what you know and so here's an opportunity and then build that file of those concrete um, resources as well so you can use those in conjunction with what you're saying too great thank you so much Priscilla thank everyone else for listening thank you that's all for now 